Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics, a podcast dedicated to exploring how things get places and the people who get them there. We'll talk with logistics and supply chain leaders about innovation, industry trends, and the future of the logistics business. Now, here's your host, Joe Lynch. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics podcast. My name is Joe Lynch. Thank you so much for joining us today. Today's topic is the box that changed the world with my friend Richard Dandenline. How's it going, Richard? It's going great, Joe. Uh, thanks for having me here today. Appreciate it. I'm very excited about this topic. Very excited. Please introduce yourself and your company. Yeah, I'm Richard Danderline, and I'm one of the co-founders, along with a gentleman by the name of George Kochanowski, who's actually the inventor, and I'm also the CFO and a member of the board of managers of uh, Staxon, Inc., and we make the world's first foldable shipping container, foldable meaning side-to-side, fold side-to-side like an accordion. Yep, and how do you spell Staxon? S-T-A-X-X-O-N. Yep. I, the reason I ask is because when I was messing around, I go, how did I spell that again? Two X's in there. S-T-A-X-X-O-N. So Two X's. <laughs> so I think this is a very interesting topic. And we, we're going to talk a little bit about the box that changed the world, which is which is the shipping container, for, for those who didn't already guess. And of course, that was invented by a trucking guy. But we'll get into that in just a minute. Tell us a little bit more about Staxon. Yeah, Staxon was uh, formed back in 2011, and basically the the idea came about from, again, my partner in the business and the CEO, George Kochanowski. He uh, had been a serial inventor, had a number of patents at the time, and while he was driving from Florida to Philadelphia, taking his daughter back and forth to uh, Villanova University when she was in college, he came upon the idea that shipping containers seem to be stacked up at ridiculous heights, (laughs) virtually past every container shipping port that he would pass on I-95 during that trip. And being a pretty inquisitive guy, he did a lot of research as to what's going on with all of these containers. Why are they stacked so high at all of these ports? And from that came up with the idea that empty containers could be handled and stored much more efficiently if there were a way to fold and bundle them. And since he first came up with that idea... Uh, Till today, we now have 39 patents worldwide that deal with various aspects of the Staxon shipping container. Excellent, excellent. And that, it goes back well before. So he was looking and just saying, those seem like giant stacks of containers. He wasn't talking about port congestion. He wasn't worried about sustainability. If you would have brought those things up then to uh, the shipping world, they'd be like, who cares, right? Yeah. The world's changed. <laughs> so Yeah, yeah. When we, when we started, we just saw it as a cost savings opportunity and a space savings opportunity. And as you just mentioned, it's morphed, especially most recently, the last couple of years, to become a much bigger issue hitting many different points beyond cost savings and space savings. So, Richard, tell us a little bit about you. Where'd you grow up? Where'd you go to school? Give us some career highlights before you got involved with Staxon. Sure. I grew up 
and spent a good part of my younger life in uh, Brooklyn, New York. I, I went to both high school and college in Brooklyn, New York. I graduated from a small, very small liberal arts college, uh, St. Francis College in Brooklyn. You don't have that accent. Well, I, I don't know how that happened, but uh, <laughs> born and raised. Can you do the accent? <laughs> I, I definitely could forget about it. <laughs> but I presently live in Montclair, New Jersey, which is about 12 miles due west of Manhattan. So I'm still kind of in the neighborhood. As far as my career is concerned, I, I started out at the firm of Touche Ross and Company going back to the uh, late 70s, which is now uh, the part of Deloitte. I spent a few years doing uh, oil and gas tax shelter partnerships. And then when my company was about to move to Houston, I didn't see myself as a Brooklyn boy wanting to live in Houston. And I got involved in uh, footwear and fashion, uh, first with what was then a brand new company called Kenneth Cole. From there, I, I was part of a team that did a leverage buyout of one of the divisions of Kenneth Cole that became the aerosols footwear company, about 300 million in uh, sales during the time that we owned it. And from there, I got involved with a company that at the time was called Candies, which- Oh yeah, with Jenny McCarthy. Oh yeah, exactly. (laughs) Good good memory. That was before she was a vaccine doctor. (laughs) Well, we won't get into that. While, while I was there, we, we basically transformed that company, Candies, into a uh, intellectual property brand management company, which was very unique at the time, with the idea that royalty streams that you could generate from brands by licensing them could be securitized, and, and, and it was a, a brand new idea at the time, and it's it's kind of morphed today into what you see, like Bruce Springsteen selling, selling the all rights the to music, it. right? So it was it was very groundbreaking at the time because it was the first time that it was applied to brands and, and that type of intellectual property, non tangible property. And we brought some of those ideas to Staxon because Staxon is basically a uh, technology and intellectual property company. We have uh, 39 patents uh, worldwide, and our business model basically is to collect a royalty from the uh, owners of Staxon folding containers for the use of the Staxon folding technology that will be built into those containers. So is royalty that I was just talking about when we were prepping, that's like what Mr. Wonderful does on Shark Tank. He always says, I want a royalty for every unit sold. So how does that work? When I say a royalty, so let's just say uh, you're giving a company the rights to build using your patents that you guys own, and they build one of your containers that folds and uh, like an accordion, and you get a, a fee for every unit they sell? It works slightly differently. We, we are going to be working on what we call a, like a distributed manufacturing model. So we will identify factories throughout the world with capabilities of, of building our containers. We will then certify those factories as being, you know, Staxon certified 
if you want to buy a Staxon container, we will point you to one of the Staxon certified manufacturers. You will buy the container from them and then simultaneously when you buy that container, you enter into a what's effectively a use license with Staxon. And our business model calls for a royalty of $1 per TEU per day. So on a 20-foot container, it would be roughly $360 a year and double that uh, for a 40. And you would pay us that royalty so long as the box continues to be in service. Not use so if if it's sitting on the side not being used today, we still are collecting our royalty. It only is when you decertify that container and take it out of service that that the royalty ends. Very nice, very nice. So again today's topic is the box that changed the world. So let's go back all the way to the original shipping container and give us a little lesson. So by the way guys I had read a, started reading a book called The Box, and it's about the shipping container. And just about that time, I was connected with Richard, and we had a conversation, and you guys said, everybody at this company has read that book. So I unfortunately only read about half of it, but it's a great book, and I will finish it. So tell us about The Box That Changed the World and how it came about. You know, turning the clock back, you know, 60 years or so. Most of cargo that came in on ships, the way it was packed was was all very kind of haphazard. Some things came in wooden crates of, of all different sizes. A lot of it came in loose. And if you've seen old movies with the big nets that were lifting cargo off of the uh, the ships and all of that obviously was very inefficient, led to a lot of theft, a lot of damage. And was frankly just extremely expensive just because of all of the handling, you know, that that was involved. So Malcolm McLean, who had a trucking firm, took a look at at all of those inefficiencies. and, And he was obsessed with trying to drive down the cost of of transportation, of freight transportation, and came up with the idea of standardizing the container that goods were packed in so that it it made the process of loading and unloading the ships much more efficient. It it, uh, allowed for much more security because you could lock and, uh, you know, otherwise secure the cargo in the container. And then he set about, he bought some old decommissioned ships from the U.S. Navy from World War II and modified them to be able to accept his his new shipping containers and it really was the beginning of a, a revolution in, right. in world trade because the standardization was obviously important but the fact that it drove the cost down exponentially really opened up the world to to trading at levels you know to where we are today to where the the shipping industry is really the biggest industry in the world even though most people don't necessarily pay a lot of attention to it and you know when he started i don't even think he had the idea of shipping containers i think he he had he had trucks 
And he said, I'm going to, I think there was a lot of congestion up in the Northeast. And he had the idea, I'll just get these, I'll just put trailers onto a boat and then ship it back and forth. So this was very much a trucking guy, which a lot of people listening to my podcast are trucking people. So he had the idea that I'm just going to move this. And people were like, what are you crazy? You can't move ship. And And by the way, you know, we have the Department of Transportation responsible for over the road. And then we have federal maritime commission responsible for boats they didn't know what to think of this because there was this never this overlap and so he had this idea that i'm going to move containers and then it evolved to this idea and and by the way i i I again i did read the book it seemed as if there was lots of people who had played around with this idea of can we do something like this but he was the one who gets a lot of the credit and by the way there was a article and i'll try and find it and put a, a link to the show notes that Freight Waves wrote about this that I thought was a really good article. So we got Malcolm McLean, and that was like in the 50s, right? Yeah, late 50s. And so I'll give my own personal two cents on this for a second. My father used to say that he, when he was a kid, this would be back in the 40s, <laughs> he was unload unload boxcars in Detroit, and his dad was an executive for AMP, and he said, got all these produce coming in, and he said, so we would, he goes, him and his brothers and a million other people, he goes, like armies of people would empty shipping containers, not shipping containers, boxcars. And those boxcars would have been loaded somewhere else. And it was all loose. That was the way things were done. And tons of handling, which caused damage. It added a lot of cost. And then there was theft in the middle. Using, you know, kind of pre-shipping container, it was wildly expensive. And... At all the ports, they had armies of people that loaded and unloaded boats. And it was the wild, wild west of loading and unloading. <laughs> it's not the way we do things today by any stretch. So the idea that we got to this box that can go on a truck and then be craned off and put uh, onto a, a rail or be put on a boat, that is absolutely revolutionary. And it really facilitated world trade. We would not have world trade like we have it because the cost was so high in the olden days yeah again the 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 cost reduction that came from containerized shipping really opened up the world to trade also made it easier to insure the cargo because there was so much pilferage and damage prior to that shifting it had to be horrible can you imagine all that imagine imagine you and i in the olden days were ordering something from europe because we probably didn't even do business with china and we order something very expensive, and then it gets on rough seas, and it's moving back and forth. And we get it, and it's got all these dings and dents, and it's been handled by, like, first the guy who loaded it in Europe, then unloaded it in uh, the U.S., moved multiple times more than we would now. It had to be just banged up by the time you got it. Yeah, I mean, in addition to uh, reducing the cost of shipping, it also reduced the risks of shipping. I mean, back then, if you were an exporter or an importer, you you basically put your your goods out there on the water and kept your fingers crossed and hoped that, you know, it it got there without too much pilferage and too much damage. So, again, standardized containerized shipping eliminated most of those problems and really drove down the cost, which was, was really the, the key driver. Yeah. And I think one of the things, if you get the book, what you'll learn and what I learned 
is now we crane we crane these containers into a boat and those boats at this point are developed to take a certain amount of containers so they have spots and in the olden days they had days and days to load a boat now that is down to hours yeah and mm-hmm. we had just again armies of people and it was also the longshoremen union the ILWU on the west coast ILWA on the uh, east coast those guys, they, they came to prominence because that was a dangerous, dangerous job moving stuff back and forth onto these boats and, and it had to be unbearably difficult too. So we've a lot made, made these jobs a lot better. Those guys still get paid pretty good money moving stuff on. But, the, but the, hopefully it's not nearly as dangerous and it's a lot faster, a lot more efficient. So what's the problem? I mean, it, it's, it's been here and it's made world trade what it is. We would not have world trade the way it is. We would not be doing business with China. We wouldn't have taken hundreds of millions of dollars, hundred of millions of people out of poverty with the trade that we do back and forth with our trading partners without this. But there's problems. What are some of those problems, Richard? Well, get, getting back to kind of the source problem and now Today, with all of the problems that are in the news, uh, it's kind of expanded into other areas. But the initial issue was as world trade evolved, there became trade imbalances. You know, some countries are great importers, others are great exporters, and others are somewhat balanced between the two. So one, one problem or it wasn't really considered a problem. It was just considered a cost initially was that containers, empty containers needed to be repositioned. So if I was manufacturing in... You mean sent back home. <laughs> yeah. Well, if I'm manufacturing, say, in China and I'm sending goods to the United States, but in the United States, I'm not sending nearly... I'm not exporting nearly as much as what I'm importing there becomes an issue with getting empty containers back to China where they're going to fill them to send them back to the United States. The container ship lines initially looked at that cost of repositioning as just a cost of of doing business. Right. They always thought and, and pushed back to us when we try to introduce the idea of using folding containers, the fact that there was really no problem there, that that problem, if there were one, would be solved just by making more containers so that the notion was if you have enough containers, that regardless of the imbalances, somebody's going to find an empty container to fill where they need it. Well, Especially in recent history, the last couple of years, we've found out that having containers is not the solution. The containers need to be in the right place at the right time. Right. So, so when we were talking, prepping for this, you, you told me something that I thought was shocking. shocking. You said uh, the, the main thing we export right now is empty containers. That's correct. In, uh, in 2021... If you looked at the top nine ports in the United States, 60% of what was being exported from those ports was air, being empty containers. Now, if you look specifically at Los Angeles, for example, 
their empty rate is 78%. So 78 out of every 100 containers that go on a ship for export are empty containers. And getting back to that trade imbalance, so most of the stuff coming in, I imagine, uh, from the the West Coast, that is coming from Asia, mostly China. Mm -hmm. So we're receiving whatever we get, uh, computers and who knows what. we All the stuff we order and we love to consume here in the United States – and we went crazy during COVID, right? We went on a consumer spending spree. And then those containers, we weren't selling anything to China necessarily that went on those containers. So we just had to send those containers back empty. Well, now all of a sudden, now we have the port congestion and we're all concerned about that. And we have supply chain issues. And a big part of these supply chain issues, there's no way around it, is the movement of empty containers. That's correct. And I'll throw something out there to you. I'm an automotive guy originally. And what we used to do in automotive is we would say, let's just say a, a supplier to an assembly plant. So you would have auto parts. You'd be putting them into a, a containers that we'd reuse. We would put these into bins, let's just say. And then we would ship those bins. And then the, the bins were would be shipped back. And it was one for one. I'd send 10, 10 shipments of these bins full and then they get shipped back full at some point somebody said hey these bins have to be able to fold or collapse or something and then we went from i ship 10 and then i get one truckload back i ship 10 trucks i get one truckload back or maybe it's one for 20 but we saved an enormous amount of money we had to make more bins but we saved an enormous amount of money and we um I mean, that was good for the environment, but the driver driver was always cost. But now now we look and say, I freed up capacity, and I saved money, and I was good for the environment. Win, win, win. Right. <laughs> and all I had to do is develop a better container, which I think is what you guys did. Yeah. I, I mean, our, our story has really evolved or, or morphed. Again, when we first got into this, we were focused very much on uh, on cost savings and space savings. But now recently with the problems with port congestion, having uh, folded and bundled empties has a great impact on reducing port congestion. And then with all of the carbon reduction and sustainability initiatives by from virtually every major company in the world and every government in the world, the thought of potentially taking four out of five trucks that are going in and out of the ports to pick up or drop off empties off of the road, reducing the number of lifts and moves at the port, all of which is done by equipment that burns fossil fuel, and then also being able to load and unload the ships faster because you're moving five containers up to five containers as one allows the ships to what they right. call slow steam. All of these things have very serious environmental impacts that until until recently, the last couple of years, weren't even part of the Stacks on story and now perhaps are the most important or at least equally as important as the cost and the space savings. 
Yep. So if I've stepped back for a second, so it's my job to load containers into a boat. I need them to stack, right? So I need to stack one container on top of another, on top of another. And it's it's a science, I mean, and they make that work. Now you guys have created this accordion box. So now I can say, now I can ship this back and I don't need nearly, I don't need the same space, but I can't stack. It can't stack on top of one of your things. How do how do you accommodate that? Because they don't they don't want that upset to their system, do they? Well, f- first of all, just to be clear, when our box is in the laden state, meaning it's completely unfolded, it's indistinguishable from any other standard dry box. It, we had to pass all the same tests, very rigorous. Uh, CSC and, and meets all of the ISO standards. But the, the magic really is in the bundled sets. And, and the key differentiator for the stacks on folding container is the fact that it folds like an accordion. So not top to bottom, not top to, <laughs> side that, to side. <laughs> yes, that's, that's a collapsible and that's a dirty word it stacks on. We fold. So if you have two stacks on empties, you can fold them halfway and bundle them just as a so set of two. So I can stack on top of them. And that set of two, and you can do it with a set of three, four, up to five, when they're bundled together, will meet the exact dimensions of a standard box and fit in a standard slot, fit on a standard truck chassis, uh, be moved by all of the standard equipment, that's used at the port. I don't need new ships or new trucks or new drayage for this. This works. Yeah, this works with all existing equipment and basically creates capacity on ships, capacity on trucks without adding any equipment or modifying any equipment. So that's 60, 70, 80% of empties that I'm shipping back to Asia. I can, I can save tons of ships. I mean, tons of them. And, and and by the way, when I'm moving when I'm moving container via drayage, I'm paying somebody to drive that. Sometimes I've I've had drayage go 150 miles. I know it's probably goes even further. I could pay to say move five stacks on or one traditional. That's a slam dunk for me. If I'm if if I have to pay for that, if I'm the if I'm the user of those containers, I can see where the ship lines say. We really don't care because we you're taking boats you're 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 preventing us from moving boats. But if I'm the shipper, this if I'm the guy who actually pays the freight, then yeah, give me give me the five for one for sure. And, and then more practically, and again, this is a a, a recent problem in, in that same vein. Right now, there's a huge shortage of truckers for a lot of different reasons. So if you have five empties and you need five trucks, five truckers, and five chassis, now you potentially can do it Down with one. One, one truck. And so it would go a long way to reducing the trucker shortage. Another reason for the trucker shortage, especially a lot of the Dre truckers, is that because of all the port congestions, a lot of these guys are independents and they were used to where, where I am here in Montclair, New Jersey. I'm, I'm not far from Port Elizabeth. And there's, uh, you know, what they, you know, the inland empire of, uh, 
warehouses that surround the ports, you know, very much the same at every major port in the United States. But those dray truckers on a good day before the uh, current supply chain crisis used to be able to make several round trips a day from the port to a warehouse. Now with the congestion, they're lucky on some days to get even one trip. And so economically, a lot of these guys can't survive. And that's also a big contributing factor to the shortage of truckers. So you think about reducing the need for truckers by bundling the empties, reducing the congestion at the port because of being able to to bundle empties and, and move the boxes through the port quicker, frees up manpower and and frees up equipment that right now is really mired in kind of a really terrible cycle that it's going to be very difficult to break out of. Yep. You know, there was a research uh, report made by, I think it was Boston Consulting, that said 80% of greenhouse gas emissions are from the supply chain. So, you know, the world is looking to us as the logistics and supply chain people let's reduce that those greenhouse gases so we in the over the road trucking which you know I'm very familiar with and that we talk a lot about this is we've been going after empty miles because empty miles are just they add no value for anybody and it's bad for the environment it's just it's it adds no value so we need, we've been going after that and we're doing a lot with data you know where if you think about it if 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 we the more data we have, the better we get at reducing empty miles. And I think we've gone from thirty percent empty miles down to twenty percent. So the and, and we're going to continue that march over in the shipping business, the over the the ship business, moving these containers. We've got a lot of empty miles there too. And I guess we don't call them empty miles, but they're truly empty miles, and it's going over an ocean. <laughs> So right. this is not empty miles for a hundred miles. This is an empty miles going to Asia from the U.S. It's it's considerably further, and it, this is just a slam dunk. So, Richard, what I'm going to do is I'm going to summarize, then I want to get your final thoughts on this topic, and then we'll you can tell us a little bit more about stacks on. So today's topic again is the box that changed the world. There's no doubt about it. World trade has benefited greatly humanity has benefited greatly from the standardized shipping container it it, it, intermodal it has changed the world and for the better and that's all great the the biggest problem is these we haven't evolved in a long time it's time for a move we are moving too many of these empty containers it hurts the environment hurts our pocketbook and we need to do something different. And what you're talking about here over at Staxon is is that different, is we can get rid of some of these empty miles and we can start doing using innovation. Just like the innovation we had 60 years ago when we got this box, we can start to innovate ourselves out of this problem. And it's going to reduce that poor congestion. It's going to relieve the truckers of the capacity problem a little bit. It's going to be better for the shippers. It's going to be better for the environment. This is like a slam dunk. <laughs> and, and and actually, another aspect that we didn't touch on is that all of this empty movement, because the, you know, the container ship lines right now to get a box from Hong Kong to Los Angeles, a laden box is about $14,500 oh, yeah. today, which is just 
way off the charts based on, uh, you know, historical rates. But a byproduct problem that's coming from that is that they are prioritizing the return of empty containers back to places like China so that they can get those laden boxes. Right. So what's happening to U.S. exports? One of the bigger U.S. exports to Asia is agricultural products, soybeans, dry dairy goods, and, and things like that. Right. right now, with the priority that the container ships are imposing to send back empties, the agricultural exporters are not able to get their exports onto the ship. Uh, so we're losing them. money. We're so, losing money. So agricultural exports last year in 2021 were actually down close to 20%. And again, if you think about it in real simple terms, it's very easy to understand. If a, if a ship comes in and has 10 spots and the container ship company wants eight of those spots for empties, that leaves two spots for exports. If you could send those in in stacks of five, you would only use, you could get 10 empties in two slots and you'd free the other eight spots up for laden containers. And and that's, that's something in the equation that people, again, another one of these byproducts that people don't even realize are part of the equation. This is one of those places where it's very much a virtuous circle. It just, it, there's no downside to this. This is one of those places, and I think we've seen this, Richard and I have lived long enough to watch this many times in our careers, where something is inevitable, it just hasn't turned the corner yet. But there's no doubt it's going to. I mean, and by the way, one other thing we didn't mention is there have been lots of attempts to to deal with this, but they were mostly collapsing the boxes, and that was a problem because you couldn't stack on them, right? Yeah, that that's one problem. the The other problem is that you need an exact amount, so because you can't variably collapse a box, it has right. to go all the way down. So if that collapsible box is designed so that, say, a four stack fits into a into a slot, if I don't have four, if I only have two, right. I have to sit around and wait until I have four, or I have to ship them as two, in which case they become a special and you lose all of the economies yeah. That you were trying to gain. You could ship yours and it doesn't make, it It might make sense on one day where they say, hey, we're going to just ship the stacks on as an open box, you know, it's completely open because we're, the ship's leaving today and we don't have t- a chance to wait for a second box to come in here. Or, or you could do it five in a bundle. It just, again, this is, this, it's time. We need this. <laughs> so, Richard, put a bow on this bad boy. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we, we have been uh, banging our heads against the industry wall for the better part of uh, 10 years trying to um, get our very innovative and, and potentially we would like to say that we're going to be the new box that will change the right. world again. Change the world again. <laughs> change the world again. And, and now it seems like all of the forces are coming together to create a perfect storm for Staxon to... Uh, to get commercialized. So what we would encourage anyone who's interested, who's listening today, please take a look at our website 
at www.staxon.com. We have a lot of great information there. We have a savings calculator where if you're a container line or if you're an owner of containers or if you're a retailer, you can put in assumptions about your business and calculate the cost savings of using Staxon containers using your own assumptions. We are presently um, preparing to do live demonstrations to the uh, to the industry and to media in uh, Newark, Delaware. Probably we'll do them at the Port of Wilmington sometime in the next you know sixty days or so. There are still some timing issues relative to COVID that have unfortunately. There's, al- there's always the COVID disclaimer on my podcast. <laughs> Reared their ugly head that will more than likely impact that timing a bit. From there, we're planning to do ocean trials with many major uh, end users of containers, like major retailers in the United States, and also with port operators trucking companies, freight forwarders, and the container ship lines, and then looking forward to commercialization, full commercialization sometime in 2023. We also, if you're interested in pre-ordering our containers, you can also do that on our website so that you get a top spot in line in, in the queue. So again, I would encourage folks to take a look at our website because there's a... I'll put a link to your website along with a link to your LinkedIn profile and any other links you give me. I think you had some links to some on your website, some pictures, how this works. Oh yeah, we, we have several videos that, that you can link to there that basically show the process of how the containers fold and bundle and then a lot of animations about how the uh, use of stacks on containers reduces port congestion, gets the ships loaded and unloaded quicker, increases the capacity of the boats without having to change the equipment, and basically demonstrating all of the potential advantages to using stacks on containers, and also a lot of detailed information about the environmental impact and the uh, positive potential that can come from uh, folding and bundling empty shipping containers. You have the potential to take a big dent out of uh, the environmental impact using the stacks on. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, again, I say this all the time. We're being tasked to do sustainability in the logistics and supply chain business. And I think the easiest sell of all these is when you say, oh, by the way, it makes us money. (laughs) And and it's good for the environment. It's a little harder sell to go to the boss and say, hey, it's only going to be a little more expensive, but it's good for the environment. He says, yeah, uh, that's going to take some, that's going to take some selling. This, this doesn't take selling. This is just win, win, win. We can only offer saving time, money, and the environment, and that's all we can do. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So what I'll do is I'll put a link to your LinkedIn profile, I'll put a link to uh, all the links that Stacks on, and again, you guys really should check it out. I've, I've looked at some of the videos; they're very cool. Some, they're more animations, but um, and I also put a link to the book, the box. I forgot what the subtitle is, but that was a book written by who was that? Mark uh, Levinson. Mark Levinson. Great book, great book. I'm only halfway through it. Oh, there it is. What's it? What is the subtitle on that? 
how the shipping container made the world smaller and the world economy bigger. Exactly. And again, that innovation is from trucking. That's of course. And we're, we're due for new innovation. We're new to do better. So, Well, we're, we're hoping that the sequel will be the uh, stacks on box. <laughs> exactly. Richard, thank you so much for coming on my podcast talking about this. Thank you. It was my pleasure. And I appreciate you having us on. Yep. Not a problem. And thank all of you for listening to my podcast. Your support is very much appreciated. Until next time, Onward and Upward. You've been listening to the Logistics of Logistics podcast, where we engage in conversation with experts in the logistics field. For more details, visit thelogisticsoflogistics.com or follow Joe Lynch on LinkedIn.